Welcome to Harvest. You know, Paul mentioned the beautiful weather, and I sort of agree with him as much as possible. Larry's been on vacation the last two weeks. He's up in the cheap seats today, if you're wondering. I figure I'd point him out. But, you know, well, it's nice weather. I've caught him golfing a number of times, and I'd like to uh, shun him for that, but the reality is I caught him golfing because I was golfing too, so... <laughs> So it probably doesn't work that way, but Larry's been off, so uh, this week I have the privilege of sharing with you. We're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31, if you want to open up your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and someone will get you one. Um, we put the page numbers on there so it's easy to find spots. This morning we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross versus the wisdom of of man. First Corinthians 1, I'll start reading in 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of experts. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of the age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is uh, insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing that which is viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. But it is from him that you are called in Christ Jesus, who because God became God-given wisdom for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, or in order that, as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. So the Apostle Paul, in the beginning of his letter to the Corinthians, is talking about this, this tension, right? This message of the cross and the wisdom of, of, of men, of humans, are, you know, human wisdom, and they're at odds, right? They seem to be at odds in here. The one contradicts the other. And so today we're going to look a little bit of that, you know, in my own life, the quest for understanding, the quest for wisdom, I guess. I, I, those of you who know my story know enough I didn't become a Christian until I was in college, and I spent, especially my senior year 
of high school and, and then into my college years really trying to figure out the answers of, of life, right? Why am I here? Do I have any value? Is there life after this? What's the purpose of life? Is there meaning? All those types of questions. And they were the questions that were plaguing me. Trying to figure out, do I, do I have value? Do I matter at all? And in that process, especially in colleges, many people, and I think about those who are heading off to college now, college is often seen as that place where people wrestle with those big questions and find enlightenment and understanding and all those things. And I went off to college to seek those things. And in, in the process, you know what? I, and I grew up going to church. I grew up believing in God. I wasn't a Christian yet. But I believed in God and I was asking these questions and I was sincerely seeking out answers for that. And I remember asking people. I sought spiritual advice from, from spiritual people. I sought advice from other college students, which maybe <laughs> isn't. But you know what? College is a place that there's a lot of debate and a lot of that going on. And I, I sought after those things and was asking these questions. And the wisdom of the world response to me was much along the, you know, you need to believe in yourself, Jim. You need to believe in your abilities. Believe in your potential. Step up. Do the things it takes to do. Work hard. Believe in yourself. Know that you're a good person. And you'll find those answers in those ways. You know, this idea that our human abilities, our human potential, our human goodness is that which will solve these great questions that you're asking. And it was disheartening to me. I'll be honest with you. Um, matter of fact, I remember one, and this was specifically a spiritual advisor. I remember him saying to me, Jim, because I was asking him, and he's struggling with sin in my life, you know, that I was aware of. And he's like, Jim, you need to stop worrying about that stuff so much you got to let your hills fill in your valleys. And I remember, to this day, I remember that. Your hills got to, and I'm like, what do you mean by that? Well, your good will outweigh your bad, and your good will cover up all that bad, and, and you, you just got to walk in this way. And that's the, that's, the, that's the philosophy of the world. That is the wisdom of the world. That's the wisdom we live in. And I, I, my problem with that, my struggle with, and that sounds good, and, and I have lots of friends who were asking the same questions, who that answer sufficed for them, at least to an extent. My, my problem was I knew I wasn't good. <laughs> I knew that I was flawed. I knew that I was a sinner. And, and in that process of questing, I kept, I kept seeking after and as, asking questions. And it wasn't until a Bible study where the message of the cross was explained to me for the very first time. I grew up going to church. I grew up believing in Jesus. I grew up believing he died on a cross. But the message of the cross I'd never heard. The message that he died for me. The message that this perfect one, this God this man, both, took my place on the cross to take the punishment for my sins. 
and it changed my life. This message of the cross was far more powerful and far more true than the wisdom of man. And what we see going on here in Corinthians, he's talking about this message of the cross. And I think, you know, we're sort of used to, in Christendom now, we use the cross. We sang about the cross today. When I say the cross and even the message of the cross, maybe we're thinking about the whole, the atonement, right? Substitutionary atonement. But when we think of the cross, for many of us, maybe it's a place of comfort, at minimum, culturally, it's a religious symbol, right? It it's, uh, may represent a noble cause. It reminds us what Jesus did. But I want you to think about this in terms of Paul writing to the Corinthians in the first century. What did the cross represent in the first century? Did it represent something noble? Did it represent a religion Probably not even yet then, really within Christianity, it was beginning to do that, but culturally it had a completely different meaning. In Jesus' day, the cross represented shame. The cross represented torture. It was a cruel tool for the worst of people. Understand this, the cross was an instrument of torture that led to death. It was the worst of the ways to die. They executed people in different ways. The, Roman, the Romans did. But the cross was specifically for the most vile. It was the most shameful. It was the most humiliating. So when Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness. You can see how the world makes it, and you're going, well, this hope is found in this one who died on the cross, and they're going, you're kidding me? That's the worst of the worst of the worst. How could hope come from that? The message of the cross. Understand, the cross was so... Sh- it would be like equating... It's hard to... What could you... I think about some of the atrocities and the way in the Middle East people are tortured and killed and what if our hope <laughs> all of a sudden became into i mean that's that's the kind of the the transformation and, and what that tells me is the power of god guys right the one who can take that which was so viewed as so vile and it becomes the hope and the salvation it's an amazing thing um it's foolishness to those who are peri- perishing. You know, as much as we, I may sit and be able to go, you know what, that makes total sense. When we understand the cross in the light of first century, you can see why it would be foolishness to first century people to say, put your trust in the cross. But unfortunately, guys, even with our cultural understanding of the cross, Many still think it's foolishness to put your trust in the cross, right? I go back to my story. I found Jesus. Guess what I went and did? I told. <laughs> I told those people that I had all those questions with, right? I told them what I'd found. I told them the hope that I'd found. You know what they thought? They thought Jim had gone a little crazy. Jim had gone a little too extreme, 
right? That you needed to, you know, mail it out. And yeah, you're a good person, Jim. You, that's all. They think it's foolishness too. We live in a world, and, and it's an interesting process. He, he says in here, right, that uh, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. It's interesting that that word there, the uh, um, are perishing and are being saved, are both present imperatives uh, in the Greek. It means it's a continually process we are always continually being saved being transformed and those who are perishing are in that process of perishing we have we have hope why do we have hope and i I think this is the great question the power of the holy spirit to draw to illuminate the truth of, of the gospel but we need to guard against the wisdom of man because the reality is that illumination came to me, right? And it comes to us. But it's amazing how easily we allow the wisdom of man to creep in. To, it's amazing within the church how many people are saved by grace but then try to work their way and earn their way to, beyond that, right? We move right back into human potential, human trying, hu- human achievement, feeling that those are the things that will help us succeed in some way forgot to move my thing so the message of the cross is one that's dramatically different than the world right it is one that says i need you (laughs) to save me i don't do this i can't do this it's one that says god took this tool of shame this instrument of torture and transformed it into that which brings hope and salvation but so we begin this process from there in, in verse 19. We begin this, this conversation about what is wisdom? What is true wisdom? How do we find true wisdom? Um, you know, and he quotes, he begins by quoting Isaiah 29. And he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. And then he continues on, where are the philosopher? Where's the scholar? Where's the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Let me say that again. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This idea of what is wisdom, where is wisdom, that God's going to, it begins, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. What is godly wisdom versus human wisdom? And I think this is a great question because I think many times when we think of God's wisdom, we think of God's wisdom as like a hundred times wiser than us or a thousand times wiser than us or a million times wiser than us like it's it's our wisdom multiplied by some number even if it's by infinity and that's just how much higher and wiser than god is than us but i think if you turn to isaiah 55 with me we're going to see that that his wisdom's a totally different thing isaiah 55 
verses 8 and 9. It says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This idea that godly, God's wisdom is somehow, we're on the same scale as him, <laughs> is completely off, guys. His wisdom isn't above ours, it's beyond ours. That makes sense. His wisdom isn't just like, man, somehow if, you know, you move into the sort of the human potential movement, right? That somehow if we could use more of our brain, right? We only use 10% all those things that we could achieve and just think about how close we could get. We aren't even on the same scale. We're over here on this little scale. God's here on this completely different scale. His wisdom is beyond ours. It's not just above ours. His, complete, his wisdom is completely different than ours. And I think this is important because I think sometimes God calls us to do things that we think are foolish. <laughs> I didn't say unbiblical. I said foolish. God calls us to do things that our culture thinks are foolish. Or unwise, right? Uh, from many different standpoints. Um, in, in 2006, Karen and I felt the Lord calling us to take an 11-month unpaid sabbatical and go on the mission field with our three kids who were 6, 8, and 13 at the time. Um, and so... Lord was calling us to do it. We had to do it. And I, I mean, it was unpaid. I, I, who knows what that meant, all those things. And I remember the response <laughs> of people, of, of close people to us, like, are you crazy? Are you stupid? You're not supposed to do that stuff. You can't do that. You know what that's going to do to your finances? You know, all these different things. And part of me is going, God, are you, you know, is this really you or am I, you know, you're, I'm asking the same questions. And we really felt clearly God was, called us to it. And I, in hindsight, it was one of the most incredible times of our family's life. It was one of the most blessed experiences one of the most powerful in growing our faith our kids faith the impact we were able to do but by the world standards it was foolish and even and it wasn't just non-christians who were saying to me are you kidding are you sh this is really not a good but god's wisdom but those are d different levels right his is beyond ours we need to understand that um it's interesting he goes on in here and he and he and he references both the the Jews and, and the Greeks, right? He says, the Jews asks for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. Um, you know, Jews, right? What did they want the Messiah to do? They wanted the Messiah to come in and overthrow Rome and give them back the Jewish nation. You know, I, I see in their mind, they're thinking they wanted another great 
well, sort of the opposite of the Exodus, but they, they wanted the Romans to, they wanted to come, God to come in and take over and get rid of the Romans like God had defeated Pharaoh. Right? That's what they wanted. They wanted to see God move in their midst. They wanted to experience that. The Greeks, they were the great philosophers, right? They wanted wisdom. They wanted reasoning. They wanted great scholarly reasoning. And God gave neither of them what they were asking for. Instead, he gave them Christ crucified. It's an interesting scenario. Um, The uh, reasoning, I think one of the interesting things, when I look at both of these, it's interesting because those two great, those two things, the Jews and the Greek, are not much different than where we are culturally today. Right? I, I would look and say the postmoderns, right? They want to experience, they want to feel, they want to, you know, have this, this sense of what God is doing, right? It needs to feel right. We need to experience. Much like the, the Jews, they wanted to experience God's power and see those things. And then on the other side, we have sort of the moderns and the, the intellectuals and, and uh, uh, a lot of even the, the modern atheists and that. And it's, they want reasoning, complete reasoning and complete understanding of all these things. And the answer is not found in either of those Instead, it's found in this cross. It's found in Christ crucified. Um, one of the things I challenge when it comes to reasoning, when it comes to understanding, and, and don't get me wrong, we are to be wise, and we are to study, and we are to think, but we need to know what the source of where we find our truth is. Is it in human philosophy? Is it in what culture sounds good, what feels good, what makes sense, what I can understand? Because I, I got to tell you the truth. I've studied this book for a, a long time, and there's parts I don't understand yet. <laughs> there's parts that are beyond me. But if, I, if you serve a God that you can fully 100% understand, I think you're serving too small a God. How can the finite mind understand the infinite? And yet, somehow we think we need to, and I hear people say this to me, if I could just figure all this out, then I'd believe in him. Like somehow, he's got to be a God that I can contain and put in a box and understand, and then I'll, it, the lie is that somehow it's, it's up to me. He comes back to his reasoning, his wisdom, is beyond and not above ours. It's beyond. And how, I think the question then becomes, well, how do I get his wisdom? How do I understand him? By the Holy Spirit. That's why, you know, why the Holy Spirit is who drew me to God to begin with, right? It's the Holy Spirit as we seek after and are willing to allow and look to something else, the Holy Spirit will illuminate his truth to us. So true wisdom really comes from the Lord. I love this, this is verse 23. It says this, uh, it says, um, they're looking for signs, right? Jews are looking for signs, Greeks are seeking wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. 
we cre- preach Christ crucified. I love what David Guzik in his uh, commentary says about this, this Christ crucified. I understand, remember, think about the cross, think about all that. Um, this is what he says, we preach Christ crucified. Instead of giving the Jews and Greeks what they demanded in deliverance and wisdom, God gives them something unexpected, a crucified Messiah. Christ, or Messiah, meant power, splendor, and triumph. Crucified meant weakness, defeat, and humility. Christ crucified was the ultimate oxymoron. And this is what Paul preached. If the cross doesn't seem strange to you, then you either don't understand how the cross was seen in Jesus' day or you don't understand who Jesus is. You don't understand the tension between Christ and crucified. The great Roman statesman uh, Cicero said, the cross, it speaks of that which is so shameful, so horrible, and should never be mentioned in polite company. That's the way they viewed the cross. So you think about Christ crucified is what we proclaim and same is true today guys it is what we're to proclaim christ crucified um i was thinking about this you know and i love the way he ends this this little section with the the whole part that uh christ is god's power and god's wisdom for us Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness stronger than human strength. And this idea of wisdom, the tension of wisdom, of where do we get our wisdom, how do we get our wisdom, and the influence of our culture on our wisdom, on what we believe, right? We see this. This is a great tension in the church today in the United States. Are we really going to believe this book? When it comes to some of the, the hot topics of the day, when we're talking about homosexuality or living together before marriage, all, so transgender, all these things, are we going to believe this or the wisdom of the day? Are we going to believe what God's word says or what feels right to us? What culture puts on us? We have this tension. And we may be able to look and go, yeah, that's... You know, that's when we need to stand. But you know what? I'm convinced there are many subtle ways the world's wisdom, and I use that, you know, seeps in. And, and we need to make sure that we're not buying into it. And, and I just wrote down, these are, I wrote down six different examples. I, there are way more than this. But I, I wrote these down because, to be honest, I think these are areas that I have to guard my own heart at times um, because these are that my own flesh and the wisdom of the world, you know, may push against. Uh, number one, Acts 20, 35. Sorry, I don't have them up there. Acts 20, 35 says it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? We all know that and go, yep, it's more blessed to give than to receive. How many of us really believe, man, it's way better when I'm giving than when I get, we know we should, but do we struggle with that? Do we believe that? Are we really living that out in how we act towards people, in how we live our life? Or are we 
seeking for our own first. And I can tell you, I know the truth of that in my own life, in my own experiences. One of my great joys of doing mission work is I get the blessing that comes with serving. And it's an incredible blessing. But yet, in a lot of life, I think about this in (laughs) marriages. Those of you who are married, are you good at serving? Do you know that you get more joy out of serving your spouse than out of receiving? Yeah, we may know that, but how many, how, much, how many times do we struggle, right? I want what I want, and th- these things creep in. We need to guard. That's just one. Now, second one, um, Malachi 3.10. I'm going to actually read this. It's about tithing. It's about how we use our money, right? In Malachi 3.10, he says, Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing uh, for you without measure. This idea that by giving God his, the tenth, the minimum, and I would say that tenth, understand, re- represents all of we, that we own. It is just the, 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 in a sense, the, honor, the promise of you own it all. But that he provides for us in that. It's really easy in my own life, and I, in, in count, talking to others, it's like, well, I can't give right now because I have all these other, you know, I, I'll see what I have left at the end of the month, right? God's economy is different than our economy. How we handle money is different. The principle of giving that tithe and watching how God will bless abundantly more than if we try to save it ourselves. It's a biblical truth. How we handle our monies, are we going to do it God's way? Wisdom of God, wisdom of the world. Number three, uh, Luke 6, 27 talks about this. Goes beyond. There's lots of places. Love those who persecute or hate you. Love your enemies. Good biblical counsel. But the wisdom of the world doesn't say that, does it? Man, we're living right now, right? We have a great divide in our nation. If we as believers would love our enemies, love those who persecute us, man, what a testimony to the Lord. But yet, the wisdom of the world says, man, you've got to deserve it. I'll love you when you deserve it, right? You need to earn my trust. You need to earn my respect. Don't think you're going to disrespect me and I'm going to respect you. I'm going to love you, right? We're, we, are we loving our enemies? Are we loving those who would persecute us? Biblical wisdom says we're two. Philippians 2, 3, put others before yourself. This goes back to the service, but I, it, it's more than that because the philosophy of our world says take care of yourself first. Nobody else will, right? If you don't take, and the only way you can really take care of others is if you take care of yourself first. That's not what the Bible says. <laughs> Bible says give. 
It says, put others' needs above yourself. And we, a red light goes on immediately. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Then I'll, I'll be worn out. God, those who serve him are blessed. It goes back to the blessed, more blessed to, to give than receive. We receive blessing in that. Are we looking out for number one? Are we seeking to serve in the name of Christ? Different wisdom. A couple other ones. These are more concepts. Uh, Hebrews 1.11 talks about faith. The whole concept of faith, right? The assurance of things yet seen. Our world says, I'll believe it when I see it. Right? I'm not going to believe in anything I can't see or prove or taste or touch. God says, a lot of times really God says, believe it. And watch me move. And it, it's not a name it, claim it. I'm not talking about the prosperity. But there is an element of faith we walk in knowing the truth of who he is. And the last one is the whole, and to me this sends it all up. It's the whole principle of surrender. Surrender is not a worldly wisdom principle, is it? <laughs> Right? I need to be in control. I'm going to achieve. I'm going to be in control. I will make all the choices. And yet, the message of the cross is surrender. Surrender to Him. Make Him Lord. And in that, we find significance. We find power. We find hope. We find joy. We find all those things in surrender. Which wisdom is right which wisdom is true we need to be studying and in this word regularly so that we know truth so that we aren't sucked in and you know what some of it's our own flesh right some of it's our own flesh some of it's the 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 world and what the world says around us day in and day out and sometimes i find myself even saying some of those things because you hear them so many times and then afterwards you go oh wait a minute no that's not true right then we move on to the last part of this, what I call the good news and bad news. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing that which is viewed as something so that no one can boast in his presence. But it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became God's given wisdom for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in that order. As it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. The good news, <laughs> and I, this is good news to me, you don't have to be somebody special to be used by God. He's called, he's calling us, guys. We don't have to be extra smart, extra wise, extra successful, extra whatever it may be. The truth is, way more often, God equips the called, not calls the equipped. The good news, the bad news of that is this, you have no excuse now to serve God, right? 
Because there's a lot of times, Moses did it, right? Moses did it. I can't do that for, for you. I can't talk good. I can't go out and speak for you. I can't talk good, God. We have no excuse. God calls us where we're at to follow him. And to me, that's good news because I don't have to do something special. I don't have to be somebody special. But I can't make excuses. I can't say, oh, I can't because of that. The bad news is this. If you think you're someone special, you're not. Okay? You know what? And that's an important one. I got to tell you, for those of us who've been in the church for a long time, maybe some of us all our whole lives, and we've been pretty good people, right? We start to think maybe we're special. Look at I've, I've grown up in the church. I didn't have one of those bad things, and I've followed you, and I'm, and really, God, you deserve, you should be thankful you have me. And I deserve lots of stuff, right? I, I, we say that jokingly, but how many of you have gotten mad at God for something to happen, and you're like, that's not fair. I remember uh, 2002 when I was diagnosed with cancer. <laughs> Little be- me went, that's not fair, God. I've been healthy. I've been serving you. I eat pretty good. That's not fair. You know what I learned? Never ask God for what you deserve. <laughs> Never ask God for what you deserve. Because we don't deserve, we deserve hell. We deserve judgment. The good news and the bad news. God wants to use us. He's called us to proclaim his truth, to proclaim Christ crucified. And I think that's an important thing, guys. Paul said, I preach Christ crucified crucified the transformation of life in my own life what was when Christ crucified was preached I'd heard about Jesus I'd heard all this other stuff but the truth that we need to proclaim to people is their need for a savior the need for the atonement of their sins their need for them to repent to turn away. That is what Paul preached. That's still true today and will be <laughs> till he comes back. And when worldly wisdom sometimes creeps into, ch- into church, right, we begin to preach other things because we don't want to be offensive. Because the truth is, people sometimes get offended when you tell them, you need, you need help, <laughs> right? You need a savior. You're a sinner. And not that we should say, like, you're a sinner and I'm not. No, we're a sinner. But people, people believe in their own human potential. It's interesting to me what happens, though, as we buy into this human potential. Over the last couple of weeks while I was on vacation, I had opportunity several times, two different times, to be in a group of people, mostly non-Christians, uh, um, connections for me of the past where these people were highly successful. I mean, they, they bought the world's wisdom and ran with it and have succeeded well. Several of them are multimillionaires. 
have succeeded well. And it's really interesting because, you know what, they're, all, they're about my age, so they're all getting a little older and starting to ask themselves, is this really all there is? It's interesting the conversations that begin when, when you start talking about, you know, different things and they're like, wow, you know, maybe, maybe there's more, I don't know, you know, the, the idea that, that there's, there might be more than this, that, that human potential doesn't satisfy, that, that humanly wisdom doesn't satisfy. And that's what we, we help people see as we preach. I can't, the, there's story, the story of Kirby Puckett, and I heard this somewhere along the way. I cannot verify it's true, it's, but I, I, I think it is. And if you know, Kirby Puckett was a famous baseball player for the Twins, 1987 World Series. And I, I remember that vividly. I watched every game. I was living in the cities, uh, went down by the dome so I could, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And um, after they won, I, I do remember this part of it. It's interesting. You know, afterwards, they do all these locker room interviews, right? And what's this like? And I remember talking to Kirby and saying, this is incredible. This is awesome. And the, the little side note, Greg Gagne, was, who was uh, the shortstop for, for the Twins at the time, actually was a, a Christian. And this was before a lot of outspoken Christians uh, in sports. And I, I do remember this because I was watching it. And the guy, man, this is incredible. Is there anything like this? anything like this ever happened to you in your life? And Greg Gagne says, yeah, this is the best, second best thing that's ever happened to me other than accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, the, the, you know, this was not common in those days. The microphone, the guy, the interviewer went, back to you. <laughs> he had no clue what to say. He had no clue what to say. But I believe, and I'm pulling this from the recesses, but it, it makes a point even if it... And I believe it was Greg Gagne later, I, I read something from him um, talking about that experience. And Kirby Puckett, after it's all done, and they're all, all the noise has gone down, and Kirby's sitting on the bench, and Greg's sitting next to him, and Kirby basically says, is this all there is? <laughs> I mean, what's next? What else you know, to be, I don't know how, Kirby, how old Kirby was at the time, let's say 30, 30 and fulfill your lifelong dream. <laughs> what else is there? See, when we chase after worldly wisdom, it's empty and hollow. Godly wisdom, God's truth, brings so much more. It brings life, it brings fullness. That's what I look at in my own life in that process. Choose God's wisdom, not your own. Choose God's wisdom. Get, study his word. It's where, it's the source of his truth. If I didn't, I don't remember if I said this earlier or not, so I'm just going to say it again. This is not an anti-study, uh, <laughs> anti-wisdom uh, it's where's the source of your wisdom. It's not an anti-reasoning message. Like we should all be dumbed down and just, no, it's what's the source of the truth that you're, <laughs> there is only one source of truth. <laughs> Let's clarify. Are you drinking from the source of truth or are you, you know, drinking from the mud puddles of the world? That is, that is the question. And the second thing is proclaim Christ 
crucified. That's our goal. And you know what? Doesn't, sometimes that's in telling our own story, right? Because that's what transforms lives. The power of the cross. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you. <laughs> thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for making what seemed wise, foolish. Lord, would you use us? Would you show us your wisdom? Would you teach us your truth? That, Lord, we would walk in your wisdom and not the wisdom of the world. And, Lord, would you give us boldness and opportunity and courage to proclaim the truth of Christ crucified in a world that needs it desperately. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.